the boards in front of the 200. Dr. Grayson, Sedestin are challenging and better loosen up on the extreme outside. Sedestin and Benelux have come away. They're fighting it out. Better loosen up on the extreme outside is roaring clear and better loosen up wins the Sajjano. Sedestin second. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Pride's Easy Feed. Do any of your horses struggle to finish their feeds during a racing preparation? Have you been unhappy with the way they look on race day? Do what many other trainers do with those finicky horses and introduce them to Pride's easy performance by stimulating their appetites with Pride's highly palatable set recipe feed you might find they're not leaving a flake in their feed bits. Correct nutrition helps racehorses to deal with the stresses of racing and training. It helps them to get that elusive win when they're in the right race, and most importantly, helps them to bounce back after the event. Pride's Easy Performance provides the ultimate muscle fuel to help horses get to the line while helping them to maintain inner health. Pride's Easy Performance, the complete nutritional feed for equine performance athletes. I'm both delighted and privileged to bring you an interview with a man who can be rightfully described as a member of racing royalty at home and overseas. Ron Hutchinson is an eminently successful former jockey who rode at the highest level for close to 40 years in Australia, Europe, Asia and on the odd occasion in the United States. His riding artistry and his level of professionalism remain constant for all of that time. Hutchie, as he's best known, rode 3,000 winners, hundreds of them in stakes races. Calculating his wins at Group 1 level would be a very big job, given that Group 1 rankings were unheard of when this man rode his first major winner in 1945. Ron always intended to quit the saddle at age 50 and actually announced his retirement after riding the New Zealand of Balmerino into fourth place in the famous Washington International of 1977. He surprised family and friends when he allowed himself to be talked into riding for another three seasons as a club jockey in Singapore, Malaysia. To put the finishing touches on his swan song, he politely won another jockey's premiership, and then he officially retired. He's lived in Melbourne ever since. He's still enjoying good health, and he's still driving his car. What's so special about that, you may ask? On the 14th of December this year, Ron Hutchinson will turn 93. And I know you'll agree, he doesn't sound anything like it. Hutchie, it's a great pleasure to catch up with you after such a long time. Oh, thank you, John. Listening to your uh, comments there, you, you flatter me a bit, you know. You know, uh, you're making me feel a little, little bit uh, uh, uncomfortable because uh, <laughs> it's too flattering. <laughs> but well, thank you very, very much, John. They were lovely, kind words and lovely to hear what uh, you said about me. And uh, I'm very proud of it too. Thank you. Ron, under current circumstances, that car of yours would be spending most of its time in the garage. Well, Johnny, you're quite right at the moment because we're all isolated from the 
coronavirus, but uh, oh, I still get out and about, and uh, fortunately, uh, you know, I'm still, still able to drive and go to the races, so uh, I'm only hoping that uh, when the everything is lifted, I'll be back to, uh, back in business mm. once again. So what is your racing involvement these days? Obviously, you watch most of it on television, but you do go to the odd meeting. Oh, yes, I'm, I'm there and I'm there nearly every week. And uh, mm. fortunately, um, you know, I live with my daughter now because my wife passed away, but uh, I live with my daughter and uh, Nick, her husband, he is a committee man on, on the uh, Melbourne Racing Club. And fortunately, Peter Legrand had, uh, has given permission for me to uh, go along with Nick and on a Saturday and, and enjoy a uh, committee luncheon in, when available. So... Oh. Uh, all in all, I'm you know I'm pretty uh, involved uh, going to the races and uh, and as a as a rule I haven't got a moment to spare. I enjoy it very much, meeting people and catching up with old friends. It's very nice. You're and a very. Of course, they made me a, a life member as well at the Melbourne Racing Club and also I'm a life member at the VRC Club. So uh, I I'm I'm very privileged and very honoured to uh, to have that uh, those honours. You know. You're a very proud father of four, Ron, two boys, two girls. Your younger right. son, Peter. Peter rode hundreds of winners, including Frar in a Caulfield Cup, but a series yeah. of injuries forced him out of the saddle some time ago. What's Peter up to? Well, yeah, well, Pete's, um, he's uh, got a, has a partner, uh, Sarah, and uh, he has two children. Uh, he works uh, as a little job with... Uh, Sean Crossgrove, one of your commentators. Mm. Uh, they work for um, uh, John Fowler, who has uh, Lepine uh, funerals, and Peter and Sean uh, fill in and do the uh, funerals uh, for mm. the uh, the people that um, you know the uh, that have passed away. Mm. So uh, he's quite busy in that respect, but he also. He has a little job mentoring uh, and the, uh, the uh, amateur riders at the uh, picnic meetings. So uh, he's quite busy in that respect. So uh, he's quite happy at the moment. And he's and, very uh, fortunate, Ron, to be <coughs> under the tutelage of Sean Cosgrove, who will lead him up the right path, I'll guarantee it. Yes, absolutely. Oh, Sean's a, Sean's a, a wonderful man and he's, uh, he's great fun to be with, as you know, and he's, he's a great... Uh, uh, commentator and 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 a, and a joy to be with. I enjoy his company very very much. Peter was number two jockey for the powerful David Hayes stable in the nineteen nineties, and he he rode some very good horses. We mentioned already he won a Caulfield Cup on Fra, uh, and he, he rode several Group <coughs> One winners. Yeah, he did. John uh, Era. Well, I think he won. One, uh, well, I think he might have won a Blue Diamond. I think he won a, a, a Cork, Cork Cup, Adelaide Cup. Mm. Yeah, yeah. He was. He actually was quite, uh, you know, successful for Colin, and they uh, they had a good uh, good team going. Uh, I think uh, he, he finished up one year. He was leading rider in Adelaide. So uh, yeah, over the years he was quite successful. Yeah. Very nice. Now, your yeah. elder son, Ray, rode as an amateur in England. He trained with yes. a degree of success, and somehow yes, Ronnie he... found the time to become a fully qualified vet. He's had a very busy life, your son, Ray. Oh, oh very, very, very much so, yes. He, I must say, John, if uh, he had the uh, 
the uh, uh, if he'd have been light enough, he would have been uh, quite an, a, a good jockey uh, as a you know as a professional. But he uh, he rode uh, rode as an amateur uh, in England for many years, or four or five years, and then most of the time he was a top rider mm. over there as a as a as an amateur and was very very sex, uh, successful. Although they mm. didn't pay money for uh, their uh, efforts, but uh, they were given, uh, you know, presents at the end of the year, like motor cars, or uh, that's in you know, and Raymond won two motor cars, so mm. he was uh, he was very very successful indeed in Europe. He rode all over Europe, so uh, and was as I say, he was very very successful successful. But he put a lot of effort in. He was like a, a potential at it, John, and mm. uh, good luck to him. He uh, it, it pulled came off for him. You have two daughters, Susan and Sally. Sally still lives in England. How many grandchildren have your four kids produced between Uh, them? Yeah, Sally. uh, Sally has three, uh, three, uh, two boys and a girl. Mm -hmm. Susan, two girls, and Peter, uh, a boy and a girl. So, um, well, I've got seven, seven kiddies. Yeah, yeah. So it's good, good. They're all good. I love to see them every whenever they come along, and uh, fortunately. You know, they're getting up into their 20s now and uh, they've got their uh, other things to do in life. So mm. um, I'm only hoping that they choose a, a good profession to be in. Mm. Uh, fortunately, uh, you know, Susan's married to uh, a guy that's a racing man and he loves his racing and he's, uh, he, he puts 100, 110% into his efforts, you know. Mm. So he's uh, I'm lucky, lucky to be living in their environment. Yeah, it was very good. Ron, mm. your life was turned upside down about seven years ago when you lost Norma, who'd been your wife, and I just did a quick calculation on this, am I correct? 60 yeah. years married? That's right. Yeah, that's right, John. Yes, we were. Yes, we. Uh, I met my Norma <coughs> part of me when she was uh, 19 years old. I was 21 years of age. Mm. And we uh, were married. Uh, I was 25 years of age, and she was 23. Mm. And we had a very, very happy life for 65 years together. So I'm very, very proud, and I miss her very much too. Of course, it's so uh, when you uh, when you have been together with her, someone she was uh, the, my right arm man, as you say. You know, she mm. did everything. She uh, she given me uh, no worry whatsoever, and if I was under a bit of uh, stress or pressure at at times, she would uh, she would cover it all over and mm. be as calm, cool as collected. She was a wonderful person. Ron, mm. you were born on the fourteenth of December, nineteen twenty-seven. You grew up in the suburb of Yarraville in Melbourne. Your dad was a plumber. And he obviously wanted you to follow in his <coughs> footsteps because both he and Mum opposed your notion that you'd like to be a jockey. That's right. Yeah, that's right. They did too. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I, I, uh, I, I tried to. As long as back as far as I can remember, John, I'd always wanted to be a jockey. I don't know whether it was because of Harold Badger and Ajax or not, but uh, mm. they were the champions of the time and. And I was a great uh, follower of, uh, of, uh, of the races in the newspapers in those days. And I was only a child, but I, I used to love the pictures and all that sort of thing and cut them out, cut the horses out of the newspapers. And uh, when uh, I, as I got on to uh, leaving school, my um, school teacher, one of my school teachers was a very keen race goer. Mm. 
and uh, he uh, he and I told him I wanted to be a jockey. And uh, anyway, he had a friend uh, who was uh, my master, uh, Claude Goodfellow, mm. and uh, he introduced to me uh, to uh, to uh, introduce to me to Mr. Goodfellow. And of course, uh, I was given a sort of a three months probation. Um, uh, to, to before you know, committing myself to be an apprentice. However, you know, my mum and dad they, they weren't very happy about that. But uh, and I, I threatened that I was going to leave uh, leave <laughs> home and nick off if I didn't go to work in the stable. Mm. So fortunately, fortunately they uh, they let me go and have a trial. And, I, and of mm. course, the moment I got in there, I loved it straight away. I was I was mm. into the environment that I loved. Mm. Yeah. Ron, just to establish a perspective about the era in which you began your career, you started your apprenticeship five months after the bombing of Pearl Harbour and yes. two yeah. months after the fall of Singapore. And yes. stable life was pretty tough in those days. You've already said mm -hmm. that Mr Goodfellow was very good to you, but he was pretty tough in his application of the rules. Now, tell me that little story. One morning he asked you to bring a bag of gear to the track and you, oh, yeah. and you, and you forgot, but you never forgot again. That's right, John. Yeah, gosh, he was – yes, and those days were very strict. <coughs> we were – we had to uh, – you know, ride, ride the horses to the track, of course, every in the morning at four o'clock in the morning. And however, that particular morning, I uh, had forgotten to bring a, a, my head collar to tie the horse up uh, in his stall. Mm. And of course, uh, Mr. Goodfellow said to me, he asked me that uh, I'd forgotten. I told, I told him I'd forgotten. That. Well, he said, you better go and uh, walk, uh, walk back and uh, and go back and get him, which was about two mile away or three mile away, whatever <laughs> it was. And uh, so yeah. uh, anyway, I'm, I'm, I set off to go and get my head collar and on my way up the uh, the hill, uh, the gardener said, oh, the just, you know, where, where are you going? I said, oh, I'm going to, I forgot my head collar. He said, do you want to buy, lend, borrow my bike and ride me? So anyway, well, I borrowed the bike, got the head collar, came back and Mr. Goodfellow said to me, guy, you're very, very quick. Yes, I borrowed my bike. He said, well, <laughs> when you get a <laughs> He said, "When you get home, he said, you ring up, you ring up all the, the trainers that you're riding for on Saturday, yeah. and tell them that you won't be riding their horses on this on the Saturday." You're and kidding. John, that's what I that's what I have to do. Where I am, and that may, as you say, that's I never met, I never forgot a head collar ever again. But uh, I was vying at that time. I was vying for you know, be leading. The leading apprentice, and uh, you know every winner counted. So, mm -hmm. but he was very, he was, you know, he was a good man, but he was a very, very strict man, of course. Yeah, but there again, I never, I never forgot a head collar, John. I'll tell you, Ron. I can't yeah. believe I'm talking to a man who received tuition from the legendary Bobby Lewis, one of the greatest jockeys in Australian racing history. He still shares the Melbourne Cup riding record with Harry White. Uh, they've won four apiece. Now, when your master was called up for essential services in the war effort, you had nine months at Bobby Lewis's Glenroy property. How do you remember oh, the, 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 gee, iconic, remember the iconic yeah. Bobby Lewis? Yeah, John, I, I remember it very, very well. Uh, Glenroy had to, and the property was on the uh, railway line that uh, that would from Broadmeadows into the city, you know, in those days. And and every uh, 
<clears throat> every most trains were uh, were uh, you know sort of uh, packed with the uh, soldiers going in to go into war or going off somewhere you know mm -hmm. and Bobby Lewis's place was right alongside of that uh, that uh, <clears throat> railway line and uh, anyway I was there with Bobby uh, or Mr Lewis he was a he was a great little man and he uh, and I'd never and I've been coming from the city, John. I wasn't a sort of a, a horsey person or anything. I couldn't, mm. you know, you know play around with a little pony or something like that. But I never was a, a horsey person. And until I got with uh, Mr. Lewis, and then he put me on and taught me how to how to ride. And in one particular, yeah, he had uh, what they call a round yard, John, as you know, those mm. round yards and. He, uh, he he had these these this any particular horse and he tie the uh, the front leg up on uh, one of the horses and of course the horse would hop around on three legs. Mm. So we put and that's how we put me on, on to learn my balance. He'd throw me on mm. and then hunt the horse around uh, and of course you know I couldn't hurt myself and I, and being in a sand yard if I fell off I wasn't going to get hurt so mm. he used to hunt me around uh, on this on these uh, on these this horse was uh, with its leg tied up so I got my learn soon learned to you know get my balance you know mm. so uh, it was uh, it was very interesting and I, as I say I was there for all uh, with him in, right up until I started being uh, you know riding races you know mm -hmm. so he's very good <clears throat> Well, Ron, he was a very good man. I have never before had the pleasure to interview somebody who was coached by Bobby Lewis. Just no, uh, remarkable. Were you aware of his fame at that time, Ron? You were very oh, young. Oh, yes, I was very much so, yes. Yeah. And, and, of course, uh, you know, and I can remember him saying uh, he was very attached to a horse called Trival that mm. won the, I think he was a three-year-old, and he won the uh, the one the Melbourne Cup as a three year old, and that that particular horse stood out in his mind. I can remember him telling me about what a good horse he was at that particular time. Mm. Yeah, Ron uh, was he quietly but, spoken? I get the impression yeah, he was very modest, humble, yeah, quietly spoken little fella. You, you're so right, uh, Johnny was. He was a very humble, modest little man, and uh, his word uh, when it, when he told you something, it sunk in. You know, he was mm. a a man, a few words, but when he said something, it was like talking in volumes. Mm. It was uh, a joy to be with, and and I'm so grateful that I was associated with him in those early days. Bobby Lewis died in 1947, but he is still talked about, particularly at Melbourne Cup time, and a yeah. Group 2 race is named in his honour every September at Flemington. Yes. Gives you goosebumps. That's right. That's right, John. I think he was only around about 64 when he died, if I remember rightly. Yep. Yeah, he was very good in this. But, um, no, he was, he was uh, you know, and he was uh, such a kind man too, uh, mm. John. He, uh, he, yeah, yeah, he, everything about him was, uh, a, a, he was a real thorough little gentleman. Yeah, mm. fantastic. Uh, Ron, I've read in several different publications too that he had a great awareness of the safety of his fellow jockeys. You would never see Bobby Lewis shortening somebody up or knocking somebody down. He was mindful yeah. of the safety of every other jockey around him and he was suspended only once or twice in his whole career. Yeah, I didn't realise that, John, but I, mm. I can imagine that, yes. I can really, I can imagine that. And uh, uh, as I say, he was such a nice, uh, a nice man and, 
I learned a very. He taught me a lot in my in my in my younger days. It was it was a pleasure to be with him. Mm. Mentone Racecourse was a very popular track in the 1940s, and that's where Ron Hutchinson rode his first winner. You were only 17. It was your 12th race ride, and you won on a mare with a cute name, Busybody. And that's I think right. the trainer was Vic Watson. That's right. Yeah, John. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I was. I was. Uh, that she started me on my uh, on my career. Uh, busy body. And if mm. I remember right, I think her colours were at that particular were, were carbines colours. You know, the the black jacket, white sleeves, and cap. If I remember right, but carbine. You, you right, as a correct. Caller might be wrong. And later carried yeah. by another great horse in more recent history, Superimpose. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You're mm. right. There. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, so uh, she, uh, Bessie Body uh, uh, won for me and then uh, I think a few weeks later she won again and mm. so that got me on my uh, on my way to uh, riding winners. Mm. Yeah. Now, Ron, just a quick little bit of history for our listeners. Mentone conducted race meetings from 1888 to 1948 when racing ceased, but it continued as a training centre right through until 1972, and it was the home of great horses and great horsemen. Now, you were just 18 when the first of your amazing number of cup wins came along. How well do you remember a grey mare called Spectre in the 1945 Australian Cup when that race was run over 17 and a half furlongs? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I remember it was so. Uh, I remember it was, it was yesterday. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, John, those sort of big uh, days don't don't go out of your mind. You, uh, mm. it's uh, it's wonderful to ride a, a, a big race winner like the uh, the Australian Cup. It's just a, a dream comes true, and uh, I can remember Spectre very well. C. T. Godby was a trainer, mm. and. Uh, he, uh, 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 a man called Eric McCormick and uh, Gordon Gobby were the owners. Mm -hmm. And if I remember rightly, uh, uh, Eric McCormick was working for uh, W.S. Cox as a, uh, mm -hmm. as a uh, auctioneer. Mm -hmm. And from that day after I went, I was became their, you know, I was friends for them until they passed away. So all those years, uh, and uh, we were still very, very good friends. And I was only a young boy. And even uh, even today, uh, uh, they, Eric had uh, two boys, and uh, they uh, they've got a winery up in Dalesford, uh, mm -hmm. and I'm you know still still keep in touch. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's lovely. Well, that wasn't your last Australian Cup. You won it another three times all over that long trip of just under two miles. You won on yes. Bold John in 1950, Arbroath in 1953, and Pushover in 1956, and you won an Adelaide Cup on pushover in the same year. That's right, yes, John, yeah, that's right, that's right. And you mentioned uh, Arbroath, John, you know, I can, you know he, was, he was only a three-year-old, and if I remember right, I won the uh, VRC St Ledger on the Saturday, mm -hmm. and he won, the, he won which he won, and then he won the, uh, the Australian Cup on the Tuesday, or yeah, Tuesday or Monday or Tuesday, and then on the Saturday in the carbine stakes over two miles, he won that as well. So he raced three times in the week, and he he won he won each one as a three-year-old, mm. which is never heard of. You don't hear of those sort of things happening today. But no. what a good story! He was owned by Sir Chester Manifold, mm. 
and uh, and one of one of his one of his reads, you know, and he was very pleased about it, of course. Mm. But it was a, a great performance, in my opinion, for a three-year-old to do that. Now, yeah. Ron, this is probably the best time for me to mention that you were credited with 60 cup wins in total in Australia. You were called the Cups King long before Bart Cummings inherited the title. <laughs> now, Ron, I've, I've already mentioned a few. Let me just throw a few at you here. Three Mooney Valley Cups, a Doombin yes. Cup, a Brisbane yes. Cup, three Sandown yes. Cups, then known as the Williamstown. You yeah. won two Hobart Cups. You won a Launceston Cup. You won a Queen's yeah. Cup in Launceston. You yeah. won four Bendigo Cups, two Kyneton Cups, two Werribee Cups. You won cup races at Warrnambool, Ballarat, Benalla, Mornington, Seymour, Woodend, Yarra Glen, Camberdown, Albury. Oh. You won the Port Adelaide Cup more than once, and I've probably missed another 10 or 15. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Ron, it's mind-boggling. Oh. Oh yeah, well when you re when you read out uh, the record like that, it, 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 it's uh, and and that was uh, before I went to England. I so yeah. I left. Uh, that was yeah, that was in a matter of about ten years, I think. So this was all before nineteen sixty. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> so yeah, Incredible. so uh, it was it's a good it was a good record, and I think it, I don't know whether I probably be beaten today. I. I did hear that uh, Frank Treen uh, from Western Australia, he were a, a lot of cup winners as well, So, mm. but I don't know how many. But, uh, yes, it was. A, it's a lovely to think that at one time I was a cups king. Mm. Now, yeah. you're probably aware that you rode in a total of 16 Melbourne Cups between yeah. 1945 and 1961. Now, yeah. unfortunately, victory eluded you. But yes. it appears you could have ridden two cup winners. Now, one of them was in 1945, and you rode a mare called Rainbird into second place behind Scobie Breezley's Mount St. Ferry uh, in the Caulfield Cup, and you could have ridden her in the Melbourne Cup. But true to your lifelong principles, Ron, you'd agreed to ride a 100-to-1 pop called Perenva, and you stuck to your word. You beat four home, and Billy Cook yeah. won that cup on Rainbird. That's yeah, that's right, John. Yeah, so so true. Yes, yeah. so I was lucky enough as I was doing well as an apprentice that year and uh, riding a few winners. And Sam uh, uh, Evans, the trainer of Rainbird, contacted me to ride uh, uh, Rainbird in the uh, in the Corfu Cup. I think she only had about seven four. In the in the in the call for cup that year, and uh, luckily enough, I got on her, and I had a great run in the race, and looked like winning the cup. But uh, Sir Ferry came along on the inside, and of course, uh, I ran second. But uh, I could have. Mr. Evans wanted me to or asked me to ride her in the Melbourne Cup, but unfortunately for me, I'd taken the ride on uh, Perimeter in those days. If your word was your bond, and of course, uh, regardless of uh, what. Uh, chances the other one had, I couldn't ride Rainbird, and then Billy Cook, uh, you know, at the last moment got a, a ride on the on her, and and of course won the Melbourne Cup. So mm. I was very disappointed, but uh, there again, you know, that's life, you know, isn't it? Mm. Now, yeah. Ron, let's fast forward to 1959, 
when yep. McDougall became the only horse to win the Brisbane Cup, the Metropolitan and the Melbourne Cup in the same year. Now, yeah. you'd won the Metropolitan and the Brisbane Cup on McDougall, but trainer Dick Roden told you the horse wasn't right when he arrived in Melbourne and he actually suggested you should look for a better ride. So you mm. told Bart Cummings uh, that you'd ride a horse called Trelios in the Cup. Pat Glennon picked up the ride on McDougal, but you did ride McDougal in the Hotham on the Saturday, didn't you? You ran second to Grand Gary. So he'd obviously thrown off whatever was ailing him at the time. Yes, yeah, that's uh, that's true. That's true, and and that's a true story too. Uh, John, as I say, uh, Dick, uh, uh, I'd run the uh, Brisbane Cup and the Metropolitan, which was uh, which was great. But then uh, apparently, uh, Dick ragged me before the Melbourne Cup and said, "Well, he'd travelled down from Melbourne and uh, may not run in the Melbourne Cup because he'd taken a bit of bark off his uh, legs and hadn't travelled well." And uh, you know, I'd better look for another ride. It, which uh, eventually came along with uh, when Bart asked me to ride Trellius and mm. uh, on condition that if he won the uh, McKinnon Stakes, I'd ride him in the Melbourne Cup. Mm. However, he won the Melbourne, won the McKinnon Stakes, and uh, and I committed myself to um, to uh, Trellius. However, in the la in the Hotham handicap later in the day. Uh, uh, <clears throat> I knew that I'd pulled the wrong rein when Did you? Uh, yeah with. Uh, McDougall had run a, a fantastic race in the awesome handicap, and I thought, oh, gee, that, <coughs> this is a better ride, you know. Mm. But anyway, uh, of course, I, um, I I couldn't ride um, McDougall in the Melbourne Cup, but I um, was only down at one of your friends the other day at um, Johnny Russell, and he brought mm. out some old uh, magazines and what have you, and then we were looking through the magazines, and then I came across a story where, Dick Roden had uh, made a special trip down to Melbourne mm. to uh, contact uh, Jack Pertell to ride the McDougal in the Melbourne Cup. Oh. So in actual fact, I wasn't, uh, you know, I'd only kidded myself that I was going to ride him in the Melbourne Cup, but mm. in actual fact, Dick was going to uh, put uh, or get Jack Pertell, but he couldn't ride it because he was riding a horse called Grand Gary in the mm. Cup, and so he couldn't ride it, and along came Pat Glennon, mm. who uh, got the ride on uh, McDougall and, of course, won the Melbourne Cup. Mm. So I missed out on that. Yep. Ron, mm. you did ride three place getters in the Cup. You ran third on Pandy's Son in 1957, third yep. on Morse Code in 1950, and second on Grand Print in 1961. You were actually in England by then, but you That's flew right, home John. for the Cup meeting. George Moore had 19 rides in the Cup, never won one. Says no. it didn't worry him, Ron, but his wife told me once it did. Yeah, God, yes, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it was, a, you know, as a growing up as a young boy, uh, John, uh, to win the Melbourne Cup, what an honour it really is, you know. It's the yeah. biggest race in the Southern Hemisphere. And uh, every jockey's dream to win a Melbourne Cup. So I was, uh, I was uh, unfortunate not to win it. And if I remember rightly, old Scope Breezy, he was the same. He he mm. never won a Melbourne Cup. No. And uh, what a jockey he was, you know. So mm. uh, I, uh, I, uh, if I'm with them, with George and and Scope, I don't mind anyway. <laughs> now let's look at <laughs> Melbourne premierships. Talking about a big honour, you yeah. rode in an era of champion jockeys. 
and it took you yes. a long time to win your only Melbourne Premiership. Now, here's your yes. record, Ron, in the Premierships. From 1950-51 yes. season to 1957-58, you were second five times, third cool. on one occasion, fourth on one occasion. You finally cracked it in 58-59 when you finished six wins ahead of a brilliant young rider called Jeff Lane. Now, That's right. Ron, the thorns in your side right through that era were always Williamson and Pertell. Yeah. Weren't they hard to yeah. beat? Oh, gee, they were too. Yeah, they were both in that in those uh, days. But I think if, if uh, I remember the uh, the newspapers used to call uh, uh, Bill uh, and uh, Jack and myself the Big Three. Remember the uh, during mm. the war the the Big Three was uh, Churchill, Rose, Roosevelt, and Stalin. You know, that's mm. so we were called. We were <laughs> were mentioned in the radio in the newspapers as the Big Three. So all for those, those ten years, yes, it was very. Yeah, I was knocking on the door, but finally uh, I was uh, able to get uh, the leading rider when in what 1959. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and of you course did. that was the, the John. That was a year. That was a year I got at the Melbourne Cup time. I got a uh, a tele. Oh, in those days, were telegrams were at the uh, the VRC and mm. uh, that that week, and uh, for me to ring uh, Ireland, uh, Paddy Prinegas, the trainer in Ireland. That's how mm. I came to be involved going to England, you know, that, that mm. particular year too. Yeah, I'll so, bring that uh, up shortly. Yeah. Ron, yeah. You, you rode a couple of cracking horses in Melbourne in Aquanita and Sailor's Guide. You won the George Adams Mile twice on Aquanita. What did you think of him? Oh, God, very, very good horse. Really good horse from uh, Western Australia. Mm. And uh, it was, I think, uh, the George Adam, it was called the George Adam and say, was the first uh, uh, George Adam uh, mile race at uh, the Melbourne Cup weeks. So, uh, mm. uh, 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 I think the George Adam Stakes, I think it was called. Yeah. Cool. But anyway, he was a, he was a very champion or a really a good horse. And mm. I won uh, uh, the the race uh, two years running and mm. and in between I think uh, Roy Higgins and uh, rode him and uh, I think he might have won um, Sydney Coy, but it turned out to be a very very good horse anyway champion yeah. yeah very good horse he was John now the other mm. one I mentioned Sailor's Guide he was an iron horse he raced 58 times all up he won 18 of them and his yes. record would have been a lot better had it not been for a couple of little obstacles called Red Craze and Tullock. Now, <laughs> now Ron, you won yeah. a McKinnon and a Craig Lee on Sailor's Guide. What are your memories yeah. of him? He wasn't very big, was he? No, he, and he, used, yeah, he was very, uh, uh, well, a Dow Stater or a saying little horse, he used to carry his head very low to the ground, you know, mm. when he was galloping. But he was a, a real... Real tiger uh, as a as a horse, uh, he had the will to win. He had that will to win, John, and mm. it was a pleasure to ride. And uh, and I enjoy, as I say, I enjoyed riding him. And uh, he uh, he was, but uh, as I say, he went over to um, America. And I think he, although he got ran second, he did win the win the uh, Washington International. Got it on protest, correct? Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yes, yeah. 
Rob, we'll just pause for a moment to clear a commitment on the podcast and we'll be right back. Time-honoured Carrington Stakes will be 94 years old when the 2024 edition is run at Randwick on January 27. The race is named after Charles Carrington, who in the late 19th century served five years as the 16th Governor of New South Wales. The inaugural winner of the Carrington in 1930 was Pavilion, ridden by the legendary Morris McCartan, who in late years would become one of Australia's most successful trainers. Easily the most notable Carrington winner is the freakish Burnborough, who won the six furlong sprint in 1945, only one week after winning the Villiers at a mile. His amazing versatility was again on display the following year when he won the Doombin 10,000 and the Doombin Cup seven days apart. One wonderful old sprinter to make the race his own in the 1980s was At Sea, who won three Carringtons for Theo Green. Another high-profile winner of the sprint was Snippets in 1988. This brilliant horse had been the inaugural winner of the Magic Millions a year earlier and later in his career added three Group 1s to his CV. He later became a highly regarded sire and sire of brood mares. Snippets died at 17 years of age in 2002. When the Carrington Stakes comes around, you know there's a new year of Sydney racing underway. Saturday, January 27th for the Carrington Stakes. We reminisce about uh, the telegram you got from Paddy Prendergast, delivered at Flemington Racecourse, offering a stable retrainer in Ireland. Now, the great Sydney jockey Ron Jack Thompson uh, had that job previously, and I think you contacted Jack. He strongly recommended you should give it a go. That's right. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, uh, Jack had uh, ridden for uh, Paddy uh, in the early, in the early fifties, if I remember. Mm. And uh, uh, Jack was very successful for uh, Paddy. I think he might have even won the Irish Derby for him, if I remember rightly. Mm, he did. Uh, and yeah. was very successful. And uh, and he recommended it was a it was a, a you know what a a chance uh, to go and. Uh, but I was riding, you know, sort of well in Melbourne and doing very well, and I was a bit reluctant to go because I didn't want to leave uh, uh, Melbourne uh, you know, <clears throat> too soon. But anyway, uh, I, I rang Paddy that uh, when I got back after the races at Flemington, and I rang him that night, and he asked me, uh, "Would I come? Would I like to come over and ride for him and uh, for that year?" And I said, "Well, I'd like to come over, but..." Um, of uh, I want to be back for the Melbourne Cup, and he mm. said yes. He said my horse will be be finished by that by the uh, Melbourne Cup time. So mm. he said yeah, that'll be okay. And so with uh, that uh, uh, sort of uh, view, I, I, I my wife and Norma and I decided to go and have a and have one season in Ireland, mm. which we did. So it was and it turned out to be, of course, a very successful season too. Mm. It didn't take you long to make an impression. You won the Irish 2000 guineas on Kithnos, and then yes. after that, Paddy sent you to England to win the English 2000 guineas on a horse called Marshall. It was a great start. You finished up winning the Irish 1000 guineas three times, and later mm. you won the English 1000 guineas on full dress. Ron, these are highly That's prized it. races, aren't they? Oh. Well, they, well, every you know, classic races, John. Uh, 
they're like well the group one races of course but they're you know they're a, they're an honor to win those uh, classic races and uh, and fortunately I, I was able to win a few of them and uh, those ones that you mentioned uh, so I can remember uh, Kith Doss uh, very well mm. he ran in the uh, he ran he won the 2000 guineas and I rode him in the English Derby in 1960 and mm. ran third to uh, St. Paddy, ridden mm. by Lester Pickett. Mm. So uh, he, he was a, turned out to be a good horse. But in my first ride in, uh, in Newmarket was uh, Marshall. Mm. And, uh, of course, uh, I, I was a chance. George Moore was riding the favourite venture, a horse called Venture, mm. uh, for the Arga Carter, if I remember rightly. Mm. And, uh, and I, uh, I had a, some sort of a chance in the race. However... Yeah, uh, I uh, I was able to get up and win a short uh, short head, whatever it was, and we were, I was one side of the track uh, under the stand side, and George was over on the the far side near the winning post, and of course we were about a hundred yards apart, so I didn't know whether I'd won or not. But no, anyway, my number my number went up, and then won the uh, that I'd won the Guineas, and of course hmm. John that that win changed my life, you know it. Um, I decided then to uh, stay in England for a while. Mm. Mm. Well, you and Patty Prendergast went to the Royal Ascot meeting in 1960. You won a couple of decent races too, including the yes. Coventry Stakes, and it didn't yes. go unnoticed, Ron, because yes. a gentleman came along with a surprise offer, a very yes. distinguished Englishman. What was his name? Oh, the Duke of Norfolk. Mm. <laughs> The Duke of yeah, Norfolk. Yeah, well, actually, yes. I was a, I, uh, I had this good season in, uh, in, uh, in Ireland, and I was riding for Paddy for the next or the second season. And uh, a man, a trainer called Bernard Van Cutson came to me one, uh, one evening meeting in, in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in uh, Windsor, but it was the race course in Indra, and he said, "Would you like to ride for the Duke of Norfolk?" Uh, and the Duchess of Norfolk next year, which was, you know, 1962. Anyhow, of course, you know, I yeah, delighted. And uh, mm. but under the anyway, I I was introduced then to the Duchess, and uh, and she said that uh, Scobie Breeze was their jockey, and mm. he was getting on. Mm. He was fifty old Scobie, turned fifty, sort of thing. And mm. uh, and I could uh, would I ride for her? Would I like to ride for the stable? Uh, and in under uh, second uh, to Scobe, which I did. Mm. I said, oh, well, I don't mind riding when you know, Scobe, he's a champion jockey. Anyway, mm. I uh, I stayed there, and, of course, I was with the, the Duke and Duchess of Norfolk for 17 years. John, I rode for them. I know you did, yeah, right up until said. his death in 1975. Now, Ronnie was obviously a man of intense loyalty. I mean... Jockey retainers didn't last 17 years, did they, in that era? That no, was very, no. very rare. No, no, yes, that's right, John. Uh, yes, it, uh, uh, it was a long long association, and uh, and uh, unfortunately uh, I, I got on very well with uh, with the Duchess and, 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 and the fan, the, uh, the, the, the Duke's mm. girls, um, and I was, uh, you know, very, uh, very lucky, uh, mm. in my opinion, to be, uh, you know, be associated with them. It was, a, it yeah. was a wonderful time of my life. Well, he was the 16th Duke of Norfolk. His full name was Bernard Fitz Allen Howard, and uh, he had many thrills in racing. But his most ardent wish was to win the famous Ascot Gold Cup 
over the marathon yeah. 4,000 metres. He had a horse called Ragstone, who was probably not a true stayer, Ron, but somehow yeah. you got him <clears> home, and I believe the Duke and Duchess were blown away by the win. Yes, they certainly, yes, uh, John, they were so. And, yeah, I can remember when I first with, uh, uh, well, it was with, uh, first few uh, <clears throat> day, weeks I was with the Duke of Norfolk and way back in the in the 60, uh, 62, and he said to me that, you know, the only races that uh, that he'd love to win was his ambition to win would be the Ascot Gold Cup because he was the uh, Queen's representative of the Royal Ascot at that time. Mm. And uh, he said, uh, you know, the Derby's nice to win, but he said, I want to win. I'd love to win the Mel- the, uh, the Royal Ascot Gold Cup. Mm. So uh, fortunately, uh, in 1974, I think it was, mm. uh, he bred a horse, like as you say, Ragstone, mm. uh, although he was a mile and a half horse, but this was a two and a half mile. Mm. And uh, he, uh, we planned a horse. Like, uh, the, the, the Duke bought a horse uh, to make running for us, and uh, anyway, we we were able to get up and win the win the, uh, the Ascot Gold Cup was a was a great thrill for the whole family, you know. Mm. So it was it was a great part of me. It was a great great thrill. Now, Ron, the Duke of mm. Norfolk had his horses trained on his famous Arundel <coughs> Park estate in Surrey, where he had grass tracks and uphill gallops and all sorts of wonderful appointments. You tell me it was an amazing place. Oh, gee, yeah, the park. The park at Arundel was um, uh, it was a one, wonderful scenery and greenery and trees. and you know, It's a beautiful park, and <coughs> the, uh, the horses were trained uh, in the in the park area, and uh, we had some wonderful gallops. In fact, uh, I think one uh, the uh, Duchess uh, and uh, one of her client, one of our clients, uh, Sandy Struthers, he uh, he uh, they put in a uh, uh, an all weather gallop in those days, a chip gallop in those days. You know, it was one of the first where they cut through the uh, the earth and um, laid uh, sort of. Uh, Hessian on the mm. on the to make it into a into a gallop, you know, an mm. all weather gallop. Yeah. And it, it turned out it was beautiful, but it, they, it was it was about a, a mile and middle a mile and a half long. It was fantastic. Mm. Yeah. Well, he was an interesting man, the Duke of Norfolk. He was a cabinet minister, Ron, in the Winston Churchill government during World War Two, and as a fanatical cricket fan. He actually managed the England side that toured Australia in 1962-63. He put his horses out of mind for a few months. You got to the yeah. occasional dinner party at Arundel Castle, didn't you? It was uh, oh, th- th- They yes. would have been glittering affairs. They certainly were. They certainly yes, and I was, you know, been fortunate enough to meet, meet uh, very many uh, famous uh, people at uh, at the uh, uh, dinners with uh, the Duke and Duchess. And fortunately, Norm and I were invited uh, occasionally to go on and have dinner with them. And uh, as I said, I met some wonderful people, uh, people like uh, Barnes Wallace, you know, the mm. inventor of the uh, the bouncing bob. Uh, Bill Sterling of the SAS, uh, uh, all that, all those famous people that uh, I was lucky enough to uh, to be uh, invited at, with uh, dinners with them as well. It was mm. Wonderful. The bouncing also, bob. 
the bouncing bomb, Barnes Wallace. He was the uh, yeah. he was invented the bouncing. I think it was, uh, the, the film called The Dam Buster. Uh, yes, I've seen that it. was mm. made. Yeah, so um, it was very uh, very. I was very fortunate, of course, to you know hear stories of uh, various things in those days. Of and it was very enlightening and very rewarding. Mm. The Duke's mm. trainers in that era were Jack Jarvis and John Sutcliffe and a little later, a man for whom you had tremendous respect, John Dunlop. Yes, yes. I, well, uh, yeah, well, that would, uh, uh, that would, uh, John uh, came into Warrandall uh, as a young man uh, and he was assistant to uh, the trainer of, uh, of, of Gordon Smythe was our was mm. my first trainer there. Yeah. And uh, uh, John uh, Dunlop came in as assistant. Uh, anyway, uh, a few months uh, down the track, uh, Gordon, uh, Gordon, uh, uh, the Duchess decided that Gordon uh, wasn't, um, you know, didn't suit her, of course. Mm. And uh, John took over the reins of uh, Arundel Castle uh, stables and uh, from then on we had a, we had a lot of success together, mm. yeah. You had a second retainer in England to trainer Harry Ragg, who'd been a former champion jockey, whose trademark patience earned him the marvellous nickname of the head waiter. <laughs> I can't recall uh, a, a jockey who was given a nickname of, of such thought and um, such tremendous importance, and it stayed with him all of his life. If you were yes. not required by the Duke of Norfolk, you were free to ride one of Harry Rags, and you often did. Oh yes, very much. I yes, I was fortunate, and as 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 mentioned, John, uh, you know, we all had retainers and uh, those in those stable riding for those stables. And I, my first retainer was uh, was of course the Duke and Duchess uh, of Norfolk. Then I had uh, another retainer, so Jack Jarvis, uh, his stable, and and then I had uh, a man called John Sutcliffe. Hmm. Uh, anyway, I laughed with uh, John, uh, with uh, Sir Jack Jarvis, uh, two or three years, hmm. and rode played a lot of winners for him. And then I got the uh, second retainer from uh, Harry Rag, and we were hmm. I was with him for a very long time. We became very successful. We had a lot hmm. of uh, winners in uh, places like uh, Germany and uh, Italy, and also. Uh, uh, you know, England, of course, the grand, the the uh, the uh, one thousand guineas mm. with full dress. Yeah, I had a lot of success for them. Uh, I won the Sir Ledger as well for him on intermezzo. So, uh, on intermezzo, intermezzo, yeah. So yeah. Had, yeah, so I had a lot of a lot of success for uh, uh, Harry Rag and and uh, his son Jeff was his head man, and uh, Jeff mm. and uh, his wife Tricia. We all got on to very, very good. They were lovely people to ride for, John, mm. and and uh, and uh, I enjoyed my my uh, riding career with them too. It was wonderful. You rode more than one thousand winners in Europe, with your best year recorded in nineteen sixty four, and in that yeah. year you won one hundred and thirty six races to finish second on the premiership to the all-conquering Lester Piggott. Now, Lester, no. in that era, Ron, was right at the top of his game. Oh, yeah, well, Lester, well, Lester was, uh, in those days, um, where he was uh, he was, uh, he was God, as such as, as uh, we would call it. Everybody wanted to ride him, ride, mm. uh, wanted him to ride for mm. them, and he uh, he was, uh, of course, he was very successful with Sir Noel Merlis, 
Mm-hmm. And then uh, Vincent uh, uh, Bryan came along and with all his good horses like, you know, Zinsky, Sir Ivor, oh, many good horses at Leicester, Leicester Road. And, uh, and of course, I was uh, lucky enough to run second to him a couple of times on the list. So, uh, mm-hmm. but... Uh, uh, he was a, a great. I must say, he was a great jockey, Lester. He's, mm. He was a very great jockey. Ron, he won a total of four thousand four hundred ninety-three races, including yeah. nine English derbies. Now, I know you went around with him hundreds of times, and I'm sure yeah. our regular listeners will want me to ask your assessment of the talents of the remarkable Lester Pickett. What made him so great? Well, Johnny was absolutely a <clears throat> he was a brilliant, uh, brilliant course tactician. But there's one thing about it, uh, you know, Raymond's man vividly that about Lester uh, that he had a great patience. Uh, Johnny he was cool, calm, and collected. I remember even going back to my first uh, day, uh, first derby when he won on St. Paddy. You know, I sat. Luckily, uh, he I was uh, with the same. Valet, uh, Sonny Hales, his name was, and uh, he and Lester and I uh, shared his, uh, his 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 services. And uh, I remember Lester was uh, riding the favourite, St Paddy in the uh, in the Derby, but he was worried, he was concerned about getting on a maiden horse the next day at, um, at well, I think it might have been Folkestone, one of those country mm. places. So he was cool, calm and collected. And he was like that all right throughout his, uh, his the time that I spent because, I, as I say, I sat with him most days at um, in the jockey's room and so I, you know, became very good friends with him. But he, he uh, I must say, he was pretty ruthless in, his, in a way. If he, <laughs> he, wasn't, he wasn't frightened to jock off a, a, a jockey that was uh, riding something that uh, was going to make uh, make good and if it found – if he found out it was pretty good, just the owner or the trainer would put Lester on in preference to that jockey, you know. Mm-hmm. So he's a bit ruthless that way. Mm. Mm. Ron, there's little doubt the most sought-after prize in English racing is the historic derby run at Epsom yeah. in June. Now, you yes. had many rides in the Classic without a win, but like mm. the Melbourne Cup, had circumstances been different, you may have been on a couple of derby winners. Now, this is an unpleasant memory for you, but I've got to bring it up because it's part of the story. You rode a cult called Charlottetown, owned by Sir Harold Werner and trained by George Smythe in the 1966 Lingfield Derby trial. Nothing went right in that race. You ran second to Black Prince. Oh, that's right, John. I remember it so well too, yeah. Yes, uh, uh, Charlottetown had been a very, very good two-year-old, probably the top two-year-old in in uh, in England that 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 year, trained by uh, John Gosden's father, Towser Gosden, mm. and uh, Towser had given up the uh, training, and uh, Gordon Smith had given uh, the opportunity to uh, train where uh, Towser was training at a place called Lewis. Mm. Anyway, that was as a two-year-old, but as a three-year-old, uh, going in. It, Charlottetown had a problem, had a hoof problem, and he was uh, he was he was a bit unsound in uh, in the, his early training days. Anyway, his first start at, start in the uh, Leafield Derby trial, as you say, mm. uh, he uh, <clears throat> he was his first start, and um, I got a bit too far back, and I came home. 
I couldn't uh, catch the leader, uh, uh, a horse called Black Prince, mm. and he led all the way, and I was I was finishing like a rocket, but uh, unfortunately he didn't get up and uh, and win. So anyway, that was about the Linkfield Derby, about uh, today, about three weeks before the actual derby, mm. and. Uh, uh, the next thing, uh, as I, I, I get a telephone call from Sir Harold Werner, mm-hmm. and uh, and it went like this, John. And he said, I, I, he said uh, uh, Hutchinson uh, uh, Werner here. He said, we have come to the unanimous opinion that you don't get on with the horse, and you won't be riding him in the Derby. And mm-hmm. he hung up, Good hung man. up on me. Oh, so I was devastated, you know, as you can imagine. Yeah. So um, I I pondered around and I said, oh, gee, what can I what am I? So I thought I thought to myself, I'll give Al Scobar a ring and tell him what had happened. A so fellow Aussie. Fought. A fellow Aussie. Yeah, so, <coughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I, 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 I rang Scobe and I mm. said, hey, Scobe, what, what do you reckon they've done to me? He said, yes. He said, I know. He said, no, I'm riding the horse. Oh, oh so that was another blow. <laughs> oh, so anyway, I, uh, I unfortunately, I got a ride. I finished up getting a ride in on a very 101 chance, a horse called Spice of the Main Blows. Yeah. And uh, Scove got up and won the, won the derby on uh, Charlottetown. Yeah, you couldn't grab so hold of my... his tail at any stage, could no. you? <laughs> no, I could not, no. <laughs> but anyway, that's life, that's life. And I was a, but it was unfortunate that I couldn't ride the derby winner. Yeah, you rode two-thirds. You mentioned one already, Kithnos, who ran third to St Paddy. Yes. And a horse yeah. called Mount Athos, who ran third to Sir Ivor. That's right, the era of Ivan. Oh, gee, what a good horse he was for Ivan. Wasn't, uh, wasn't he? John, he was a very good horse, yes, yeah. I think they made a film of him too, if I remember, of that of that particular mm. horse. Uh, yeah. But, uh, oh, Mount Athos, <coughs> he was owned by a lovely man called Sandy Struthers. Mm. And uh, I, uh, I, he was he ran third in the in the derby that year. Mm. So, um that was the co- they were the closest I got to the winning the English Derby. Ron, in 1977, you were riding a two-year-old called Shirley Heights for trainer yes. John Dunlop, and you almost certainly could have continued that association the following year, but you'd already yeah. made up your mind to retire, and you let yeah. Shirley Heights go, and Greville Starkey took over and rode him to victory in the Derby the following year. Now, that's right, John. That's, yep. You were one of several Australian jockeys to wear the royal colours. And your very first yeah. ride for the Queen was on a horse called Ormiston at Lingfield, a winner, first up for Her Majesty. That's right, yes, yes. My yes, so it was uh it was trained by uh, Captain Boyd Rochford. Mm. Uh, late league field and uh, outsider, but anyway, I was I, I was lucky enough to uh, to uh, uh, get up and win on it, and uh, so I was invited to uh, the uh, to up to the royal box, and well, mm. the queen happened to be there that day, so I, I met the queen there that day, mm. and uh, I later on, John, I was fortunate enough to ride uh, a horse called Galliwar in the uh, Galios. Uh, Go, go, uh, Galway, yeah, go, go, that's right. Yeah, in the that's Goodwood right, Cup. Mm. In the Goodwood Cup for the Queen, yes, that's right. So mm. I was uh, I was very fortunate, uh, you know, to uh, to win the Cup for her. Yeah, mm. very good. 
You became very attached to a horse in the Dunlop Yard in 1977 who'd arrived from New Zealand with a big reputation, and you saw him as the horse most likely to give you a grand farewell to European racing. His name, Balmerino. Now, first up, you went to Goodwood for a 10-furlong stakes race, which he won by five lengths, then across the channel to Longchamp for the famous Arc de Triomphe. What a thrill for an Australian jockey to ride a horse like this in a race like the Ark. Yeah, yeah, it was, John. And I would say, uh, looking back over the years, I'd say that Belmarone is probably one of the – I only rode him four times in, in, uh, in his uh, career – uh, and I, I rate him as probably the best horse that I uh, that I rode over there. Uh, uh, best horse I ever rode. He was he had he wasn't very big, but he had a he was just so so powerful. Yeah. And uh, 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 he was owned by a nice uh, uh, in New Zealand um, mm. Ralph Stewart, if I remember right. His name, yeah. the owner was. And anyway, fortunately, he he, he kept. I I, I uh, was able to ride. I had, as I say, four rides. I won the mm. the first one, second in the arc. Uh, then we took him to. Uh, Milan in Italy. Yeah. Uh, I won the race, but unfortunately, uh, I lost the race on protest. Mm-hmm. And then he ran fourth in the uh, Washington International. Yeah, so mm-hmm. he was a very, very good horse, John, a real, mm-hmm. a real champion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, Ron, I've just got to get you to repeat something you said a minute back, because I want mm-hmm. I want to get this clear in my mind, and I'm sure most of our listeners will want to do likewise. Yeah. Are you saying yeah. Balmerino? Was the yeah. best horse you rode in any part of the world? Yep. Yes. Goodness yeah. me. I'd say, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, in, in my opinion, at that particular time, mm. yeah, he was a he was a re- he was a champion for sure, Belmarino. Mm. Mm. The horse that beat you in the arc was alleged. Fancy running into him. He only got well, beaten once in ten starts, and he won the arc again the following year. The, that's right, John. Exactly. Yes, he was. He was a three-year-old. He was too good for me that particular day. And Bel Moreno uh, was wearing him down. But uh, alleged uh, one, one. Uh, led, I think he might have led all the way, if I remember. But anyway, mm. he, uh, he he was too good. And the next year, he came out and won the Ark again. So mm. he was a he was a, an outstanding horse. Well, you announced your retirement after riding Balmerino into fourth place in the Washington International at Laurel, but your riding career wasn't over just yet. You accepted a lovely invitation to go to New Zealand to ride over the four days of the Auckland Cup Carnival and to officiate as a guest speaker at a big round of dinners and luncheons, and you and Norma made a working holiday of it. Yes, that's right, John. In 1977, I took my uh, younger uh, uh, with me, um, young Peter and uh, my daughter Sally. Mm-hmm. So the four of us uh, had a delightful time. About We were there for about six weeks in New Zealand, uh, travelling around the, uh, the Northern Ireland. And I, uh, 
I uh, had a great time, and uh, I rode a winner or two there as well. So I, mm. I had, uh, I spent the, uh, the that particular '97 '7 Christmas uh, in uh, Rotorua, if I remember rightly. So mm. uh, it was very, very, uh, uh, very, very nice, and uh, we met, as I say, I met some wonderful people over there. Yeah. On your way back to England, you decided to have a look at racing in Singapore and Malaysia. Now, you were 50 years old, and to all intents yeah. and purposes, your riding days were over, but not just yet. No. What happened? Uh, you... That's right. Oh, that's right, John. Uh, yeah, right, you know, I, I, I decided at 50 I'd, I'd had enough, and I, I was having troubles with uh, my hips at that particular time too, John, and mm. I was, uh, you know, I was looking forward to retiring, Um so uh, uh, so anyway, I had stopped off in Singapore and, um, I, of course, I had my gear. I was going back to retire um, in England. And Ivan Allen uh, said to me, would you like to have a few rides at, um, at this particular uh, Singapore meeting? And he put mm. me on a couple. And anyway, I had uh, I was there for four days, two, two uh, Saturday and Sunday, and then the mm. following Saturday and Sunday, so I, in the meantime, I'd won uh, over the four days. I'd won four or five races, pretty straight, you know. <laughs> so I, I was still, I was doing pretty good and quite, quite excited. And so yeah. anyway, uh, Ivan said to me, he said, "Well, if you, you're finished, why don't you stay in uh, Singapore?" He said, "I'll sponsor you, mm. and um, and have have a, a season out here." So mm. I thought, well, I said to my wife, yeah, well, I might as well didn't stay out <laughs> in the warm weather. So uh, I did, but uh, yeah. luckily for me, the Singapore Turf Club um, uh, asked me to ride or allowed me to ride as uh, their club jockey. So yeah. in other words, I was allowed to be a freelance and do what I liked, you know. Yeah. Well, so Ron, you stayed, stayed three there, seasons. I was there for three years. Yeah, and won another bloody premiership. The premise, yeah, I topped the jockey's lift in uh, in Singapore. So, yeah. yeah, so I had a good time at 50 years of age. Yeah, mm. well, you were 53 when you finally said, that's it. Yeah, yeah yes. Yes, I was having some trouble with my uh, hips, John, and in those days mm. I, I'd uh, go around uh, – uh, and uh, come back to Singapore, and I'd have a, a dose of uh, acupuncture, and uh, that seemed mm. to keep me going for a while. And mm. but it was getting a bit, uh, a bit uh, hurtful and painful, mm. so I wasn't enjoying it all that much. And no. it was time to give up, you know. Ron, you rode for four decades, and yes, uh, that yeah. doesn't come without injury. Overall, do you regard yourself as one of the lucky ones? I am, uh, John. Yes, I. I must say that I had. Uh, I had some nasty falls over the years. I think as the more you ride and the more opportunity you have of riding, you know, the more chance you're going to have a fall. And I've had my, my share of falls, <clears throat> but fortunately I have broken ribs and collarbones and arms and all that sort of thing, but I've never got any uh, injury uh, in the head. I never got a, a no. whack in the head. Or <laughs> so, I was, so I was lucky that way, John. Mm. But... Uh, there again, uh, if you're a leading rider or a rider, you're, you're bound to have a fall sometime or other. Yeah. Ron, I've never <laughs> forgotten a wonderful night I had in your company 47 yeah. years ago. Go I, on. Yeah, <laughs> I was in England yeah. to call the Derby for 2GB in Sydney, 
and I had to go to a meeting at Kempton Park the previous Saturday with a little tape recorder to interview some jockeys who had rides in the derby, and you were one of them. Now, yes. you invited me back to your beautiful property at Rygate. You were on 50 acres there. You had some That's broodmares right. on the property, I remember, but you and Norma uh, gave me a wonderful evening. And from, oh, lovely. Ron, from that moment on, I've wanted to do an in-depth interview with you, and it took oh, me 47 lovely. years to do it. Oh, lovely, John. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you very much for uh, those kind words too, John. Yeah, but, well, I was uh, fortunately, um, uh, Norma, I might have been a bit naughty in that respect of uh, she didn't expect who I'd bring home of a night time and uh, so after the race I'd meet people like yourself and others and uh, I was uh, able to... Uh, you know, come back and have a few drinks at uh, at the at my home, and uh, mm. and it was a, it was a joy, and I enjoyed it very much. But uh, from her point of view, she always was there, available, and uh, uh, before long, she'd produce a meal sometime <laughs> during the evening. So it was pretty good. So, yeah. Ron, I, I wasn't but, the only one you brought home no, for dinner at very short notice. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was. I, and I was pretty naughty that way. <laughs> mm. Ron, you rode a winner that day too at Kempton Park. I think it was a two-year-old called Pitcairn. You told oh, me he'd yeah, win. He, yeah. he was long odds on but bolted in, won yeah. easily. You remember the horse? Yeah. yeah, very much so, John. Yeah, I remember him. He was a good horse he was too. He turned out a very, very good horse. Mm. Very nice. Very nice horse he was. Oh, I'm glad I tipped your winner, eh? That's oh, you a, certainly did. <laughs> now, Ron, Australian racing has had no better ambassador than you, both no. during your riding career and in the years since your retirement. Your contribution yes. was acknowledged in the proper manner in 2005 when you were inducted into the Australian Racing Hall of Fame. You're a remarkable fellow, Ron Hutchinson, and I no, am very, you. very privileged that you've been able to join me on this podcast. I've enjoyed every oh. moment of it. Thank you very much indeed, John. Yes, it was a, it was a great honour to be involved in uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame. It's one thing that uh, I can look back on in my uh, lifetime and say, well, I've done I've done well for my time in racing. It was wonderful. Thanks mm. for joining us, Ron. It's been a delight. Lovely, John. Thank you very much indeed. It's mostly mean from my point of view, most enjoyable. Thank yeah. you. And this podcast was produced by Supernova Sound. Do any of your horses struggle to finish their feeds during a racing preparation? Have you been unhappy with the way they look on race day? Do what many other trainers do with those finicky horses and introduce them to Pride's easy performance by stimulating their appetites with Pride's highly palatable set recipe feed you might find they're not leaving a flake in their feed bits. Correct nutrition helps racehorses to deal with the stresses of racing and training. It helps them to get that elusive win when they're in the right race, and most importantly, helps them to bounce back after the event. Pride's Easy Performance provides the ultimate muscle fuel to help horses get to the line while helping them to maintain inner health. Pride's Easy Performance, the complete nutritional feed for equine performance athletes.